Welcome to the You Can Make a Living in the Music Industry podcast from Nashville, Tennessee. I am your host, John Martin Keith. Celebrities, working class musicians, and people who work behind the scenes in all areas of the music industry will share their stories, encourage you, and give practical advice of ways you can make a living doing what you love in the music industry. This episode is brought to you by Edenbrook Productions. Edenbrook Productions is the company I founded to help musicians grow in their craft. Are you a songwriter, but maybe you've been told your songs aren't quite there yet? Or are your songs ready, but you don't feel stage ready? Or maybe music is your passion, but you feel imprisoned by your day job and you don't know what to do next to make your dream a reality. Well, Edenbrook Productions is here to help. We offer consulting services via phone call, Skype, and FaceTime. And for the You Can Make a Living in the Music Industry podcast listeners, we're offering an introductory one-hour consultation special. Click on the link in the show notes to contact me, and let's get you making a living in the music industry. Hey everyone, welcome to season five of You Can Make a Living in the Music Industry. I am so very excited to be back and that you are back with me on this journey to have amazing conversations with amazing guests about the music industry and how they've built their careers and to encourage you guys to help you know that you can make a living in the music industry. So my first guest this season, I'm extremely excited about, and some of you are going to hear the name Ghostwriter Music, and you're going to be thinking, wait, who who is that? And then some of you are going to hear Ghostwriter Music, and you're going to think, oh my goodness, how on earth did you get the guys from Ghostwriter Music? And it's a great story because not only are they located in LA, they are also now located here in Nashville. And we have a mutual friend that connected us and so I'm excited to have them on. So this week I'm talking with Chris Bragg and Travis Mashad of Ghostwriter Music. And so when you think Ghostwriter Music and you're wondering, wait, what, is, what does that mean? Who is that? Well, when you guys listen to movie trailers or when you guys watch a movie trailer on TV or in the theater or on YouTube and you hear all this amazing dramatic music that's in the background of these, of these movie trailers that make it so epic and so cool. These guys, Ghostwriter Music, are some of the best people to create music for those trailers. So when you hear this incredible epic music on Marvel trailers or Sonic the Hedgehog or She-Hulk and different things like this, or Star Wars maybe um, on, on Disney+, Plus, then you're hearing the music created by Ghostwriter Music, and it's incredible. So this week, I'm talking with Chris Bragg and Travis Machado of Ghostwriter Music here in Nashville. Ghostwriter is one of the most sought-after companies that creates exciting and emotional music put to the trailers we love to watch when anticipating the release of a new TV show or movie coming to the theater. Their music has been used in trailers for Thor, Love and Thunder, Sonic the Hedgehog, She-Hulk, Star Wars Andor, and so, so much more. We are discussing when Ghostwriter gets involved to write music for a trailer, how you get paid when creating music for trailers, and the number one rule of writing music for movie trailers. These guys should know they are some of the best in the business. Enjoy my conversation with Ghostwriter Music. Hey guys, I am hanging out with the Ghostwriter team, and I'm super excited. Chris Bragg and Travis Mashad are with me, and hey guys, how you doing? Good, hey. So I, I'm great. I am super excited to get to talk with you guys because um, doing TV, film, music, like we all do together, um, you guys are pretty much the pinnacle. I mean, you're at the top of the game on writing 
music for movie trailers and all that kind of stuff. And I love, I love listening to that and always, you know, so curious of how that's put together. I mean, I, I do it, um, but the way that you guys do it, because trailer music is very specific, usually, I think, in, in the way that it's, that it's done, um, especially nowadays. There's kind of a formula to it that you hear, especially in action films, you know, Marvel and all this kind of stuff. There's, yeah. it's, so, its own, it's its own genre now. Right. Yeah, yeah. it's its own thing. Um, so, and, and I love that, and always kind of listening to see, okay, well, what's different about this trailer versus this trailer, even though the genres may be similar, um, those types of things. So we'll, we'll talk about that. But um, I'm just super excited to get to officially meet you guys. And you guys have a lot of fans around the world. I don't know if you know this, but there are a lot of people that follow you guys and love just the musical aspect of making movies, making music for movie trailers and, um, you know, commercials and all that kind of stuff. So super cool. So thank you for letting me fanboy out just for a second here. (laughs) I don't usually, I don't usually do that uh, and say that front, but I'm going to be, just be honest and say, this is super, super cool for me. So I'm excited. Um, So Chris, tell us who you are briefly and where you're from. And I don't get to have two people on the podcast at the same time very often. So we're going to kind of go one-to-one and then and then we'll come together and talk about the whole thing. Sure. So uh, my name is Chris Bragg. Um, I am from Canada originally, from Nova Scotia. Um, moved down to LA in the end of 2003, 2004 um, to be a musician, I guess. I went to school there uh, the LA Recording School, and then also Musicians Institute. Yeah. Um, yeah. Then I got a I got a job mixing movie trailers, um, and that's kind of how this journey started. Just kind of fell into that, and the rest is history, I guess. <laughs> so um, let's let's talk about that, that just for a second before we jump over to Travis. So mm-hmm. because it's easy to say, well, I just got a job mixing music for for movie trailers, but like there's a lot more to it than just that, you know. So can you talk a little bit about what that process was like? Like how did you get get connected with that job, and you know how do you get hired for something like that? Yeah. So at the time, I was writing library music for a company called Riptide. Yeah. And um, one of my friends, uh, Dan Silver at, at Riptide, um, said, "Hey, I have this guy who's looking." looking for an assistant at uh, SSI, which is the, the mix facility that I ended up getting the job at. Uh, so I interviewed for that, and that's that's how I got that job. Okay. Uh, so I worked there for a few years, and then I left to uh, work for Hans Zimmer at Remote Control Productions. Um, so I did that for about a year, and then, then I left to work with Travis, actually. Okay. So when you leave SSI to go work for Hans Zimmer... Because that's, you know, people know who Hans Zimmer is, obviously, right? That's a big deal. Um, is that based off of a relationship that you already had with him or with someone, just someone that he knew? Like, how do you go from working SSI to getting to work for Hans Zimmer? Um, there was a job opening uh, I had heard about through some contacts and I just applied to it, went in and interviewed and got a job in engineering over there. So I was, uh, you know, recording samples and session musicians. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. All right, Travis, what is your story? And then we'll figure out how we, how we get you guys put together. (laughs) (laughs) 
Uh, yeah, I'm Travis Mashad, uh, born and raised in Los Angeles. Um, got into the industry, um, was playing in bands out of high school and uh, was gonna, actually was going to go to the Musicians Institute probably roughly around the same time Chris was there, but I ended up getting a job as a runner for um, a company called Wild Tracks, who did, um, they kind of were like the post uh, sound house for the trailers. So um, we got the audio from the, the vendors who cut the trailers and we kind of prepped it before it went to the stage, which was SSI, um, the, one of the stages. Um, so yeah, so I started as a runner there, worked my way up and uh, as an assistant and then sound editor and then sound supervisor. And um, so I would be on stage supervising mixes uh, at SSI, and that's how I met Chris. Um, Explain to the audience what a runner does. Yeah, so I mean, at the time, it was uh, 2005, so it was on the cusp of the digital age. So I was still out, you know, picking up CDs and uh, DV cams and uh, quarter-inch tape and the whole bit. So running around from studio to studio, picking up material. Um, we were essentially prepping audio for the mix. Um, so if they were working on a trailer, I was going to the studios, picking up sound reels from the editorial department working on the movie. And we'd come back and pull all the bites out of the, out of the movie and for all the dialogue and stuff in the trailer, finding the cleanest takes and all mm-hmm. that stuff and getting it ready for the mix. Um, so yeah, I was just kind of running around all over, all over town. So I have to ask. Is that like a terrifying experience being a runner because you're going to pick up this music or dialogue that's been recorded for a movie and it's yeah. your responsibility to get it from point A to point B and if something screws up you're in- I mean usually the more <laughs> the more terrifying thing was picking up like 20 coffees at Starbucks and trying to carry them out yourself oh, really? <laughs> no, <that's true. laughs> and not messing it up because people were more upset when their when their coffee order wasn't right more so than if I got the material but no yeah I mean it was it was a cool experience um going to every studio in Hollywood sure. um meeting you know editors and producers and stuff like that um, was a was an experience that was was unique because um, I went to all the different editorial departments for you know every studio and every movie that was going on at the time so that was really cool so we talk about on this podcast all the time probably every episode at some point we talk about the importance of relationships yeah. in this industry mm-hmm. So I, I want to ask you about that as far as getting to meet all these different editors mm-hmm. at all the different studios around Hollywood. Um, are you building relationships with these guys at that point? Are you getting to know them? I and- mean, they, yeah, I mean, they started to know me, um, but it really took till like I was an assistant and then editor when I was contacting them for, you know, the actual stuff and not just picking it up, but I was calling them and asking them for information. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Starting to build that that relationship that helped when I became a music or a supervisor on the mix stage, and so then when there was problems, I can call them up, and I already had those relationships built in. Um, and then it helps too when when we are now on the music side of things, and not just the editorial and, mm-hmm. and mix side of things. And we're when we're you know doing the music, and we're working with a piece of audio that was from the movie or something like that. We know who's who's working on it or we can we can call upon people and ask information and so okay yeah. so you got those relationships now yeah that yeah we have a lot, a lot of, easier. we've built a lot of relationships over the years yeah. being, 
being, I mean, it's literally in the same industry for a long time. So, yeah. Okay. So how did these two worlds collide for you two to get together to, to do ghostwriter? Yeah. I mean, I was working at SSI. He was a, he was a mixed supervisor on the stage. So we spent a lot of long hours together, um, yeah. became friends and he was downstairs making music when we on our off hours. Yeah. And I'd sit in there and, <laughs> and so when, uh, I went and worked for this company um, that essentially did the same thing, Cabin 21, and we wanted to kind of start a, a label there to make music for trailers. And so I was doing sound design mostly. That was my forte. And so we really wanted to get more into the music stuff too. Um, so he was working with Hans Zimmer at the time, and so I called upon him and said, hey, do you want to come over and help us kind of make music here? And so he left and came over and we started a company called C21 Effects within Cabin 21, and we were making sound design and music for trailers. And then, um, yeah, and then <clears throat> that kind of ran its course, and he left and started Ghostwriter on his own, just in his garage by himself. And uh, I left and kind of did my own thing. And then uh, circled back around. I, I was working at a mixed facility in Burbank, and he calls me up and says, hey, like, I want to make this into like a company company, not just running the garage by myself, do you want to come work for me? And I said, yeah, let's do it. So, uh, That's cool. Um, I love it. It started in a garage, basically, right? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, and some of the biggest, most popular things in, in our culture nowadays that we don't, we don't even think about really came out of a garage, you know, starting a business in a garage. And, you know, so that's such a cool thing to hear that, that, that this came from, you know, sort of that, that roots of just being in a garage, you yeah. know, doing, doing your own thing to create, to create what you guys have now. So you said something, Travis, a minute ago. Yeah. Um, you're doing sound design. Yeah. So t- tell us just a little bit about when you're doing sound design. Um, I know that's kind of separate from music, but that's always a fascinating thing to me, especially when you, you merge sound design to music yeah. of, you know, if there's a song going on and you, you're adding sound effects to that to enhance that, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit about that, what that process is like and and why you do that? Yeah. Um, I mean, in the trailer world, sound design is, is you know, it's one and one with music. There's the title card hits and wishes and, you know, the big risers and all kinds of stuff. So it kind of um, enhances what's going on on screen. Same with the music. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I was making the sound design I was making was like hits and wishes and, you know, just unique things that would go with picture. Um, and they would kind of go in its own like library of sounds that editors would use. Can I ask you this about that? Because I think this, this is a really important thing for composers that Mm -hmm. are wanting to write music for, for film, um, when it comes to the wishes and the risers, right? Mm -hmm. Um, because as composers, we're always going, I mean, we got thousands of different, you know, keyboards and drum sounds and whatever that we're always looking through trying to create stuff that's unique. Yeah. At the same time, making it familiar, mm-hmm. you know, that's not too far left of center as to what would be, you would hear normally in, in a trailer. Yeah. Right? So when it comes to like the rises and the wishes thing, it's like when I'm creating something and I'm looking for those things, I 
I don't necessarily think of it as sound design. I'm thinking, okay, it's this is a symbol that's sure. you know, yeah, it's rising up, and but there are different elements to that. Um, so to hear that that you're separating it out as a sound design separate from music, yeah, I think it's good for for people listening to hear that are wanting to that are composing and trying to figure out how to how to apply those things. Yeah, I mean, there's a balance on you know when a composer's making a track for specifically for trailers, um, a balance of adding too much sound design to their cue mm -hmm. because the, the editor will end up, you know, he'll end up adding sound design anyways because you, they have to, it's mo mostly two picture, right? And so right. the music is the music and sometimes they're going to add hits and bigger hits or wishes or risers where they want it to go. So depending on the track, right? So it's a balance on adding that like right amount of sound design to a cue to make it, you know, punchy and big and exciting, but not too over the top where the editor is like, well, there's too much going on here. Yeah. Um, it has to be the right kind of sound design. Yeah. Too. So you, know, you want to stay away from like practical sounds. Yeah. Uh, like things that could be, you know, confusing. Yeah. Like, like, you don't want to have like metal, know, metal or like, you know, anything that has organic yeah. or like, you know, um, gun sounds, stuff like that, that could be like a practical effect. You don't want to put that into the music because it's going to narrow your, where, where it fits. Right. Yeah. So, okay. I'll, let me, let me think about that for a second. Yeah. Um, because you, Chris, you said that you're talking about, uh, metal sounds like mm -hmm. rake, like metal raking, yeah, or, or, or even something a like metal that. hit, or yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. So there's two kinds of sound effects. I guess you could describe them. There's practical effects, and then there's then there's like designed the sound, designed yeah. sounds. So practical effects are very like, you know, realistic sounds, like things you would hear in real life, like like engines or or you know, gunshots, that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and then the design stuff is very kind of surreal and and. Uh, you know, a lot bigger sounding than than real life, and that's that's generally the, what what we create. Let, let me let me get your opinion on something. I know there are trailers where they put in like the clock, the ticking clock, sure. right? The mm -hmm. wall, um, the grandfather clock. You know, like, and they incorporate that into the music, or that is basically like that's almost almost becomes the percussion. Yeah. Back end for the music. Mm -hmm. Do you guys do a lot of that? Or is that one of the things that you try to stay away from because you're saying it's, it's too much of an organic? Yeah, we do. We do if it's, you know, for a specific thing and they ask for that. There's, we have some yeah. catalog cues that have some ticking stuff in it. The ticking clock has been kind of a motif that's been used a lot. Yeah, it yeah works so really it's, well for trailers. Yeah, yeah. so I guess, it's, I guess in that sense, it's more or less of like um, if it's, if everybody's like, oh, that's a sound that everybody likes, so now everybody's like calling for it. Like, yeah. hey, do you, what do you have that has like clock ticking? Mainly because it, it has that sense of time and urgency to it, you yeah. know? So that's a little bit like more of a, you know, a, an uncommon, but yeah, common thing now. Sure. So, um, but yeah, so that that one definitely has become a very popular thing in trailers. Yeah, and and also going back to like the the metal hitting metal because you think of like you know a hammer hitting an anvil that clanking yeah. sound like that's another thing that I feel like I hear a lot is used in um, as a sound design put into you know kind of on top of the music depending on yeah, on so, what the genre is I guess yeah so the editors will definitely like cut in depending on what's on screen or what what movie it is, right? So that's why I say like you want to try to avoid some of those practical stuff because 
though if they're working on a movie that doesn't really have that metal wouldn't justify what's on screen yeah. then they're going to dismiss your cue where they can always add it in they'll add it in later yeah. Mm-hmm. okay yeah so try to keep things a little more generic in that and sense so the editor you're talking about the editor is going to add those things in later oh, on oh yeah the the editor will so part of what i did back at cabin 21 and wild tracks is went through you know the sessions that the editor you know the video editors did for trailers and so they would cut their dialogue and music and then they would do sound design on top of that. Mm-hmm. And so the amount of sound design they do in trailers is they add a lot um, of elements. So um, so I've kind of been able to see all of what's happening behind the scenes on what the editors do yeah. for every movie and every genre. Can, can you guys talk about the process of when, when a production company reaches out to you and says, okay, ghostwriters, we want you to create the music for our trailer. Mm-hmm. Um, at what point in the process do you get involved? So there's a couple of different scenarios um, that that plays out. One is they'll hit us up and they'll say, hey, we have an idea for this trailer that we're going to be working on and we want something that sounds like this or we want to take this old cue and have you guys you know, rework it and overlay it and make it kind of work for a trailer. Um, or they'll be cutting with stuff and they'll have us come in at that point and say, hey, this music's not working out. We need to swap it out with something else. Can you can you, can you help us out with it? So, yeah, they, they'll cut a trailer and they'll use a, you know, a 1970s rock song and they'll cut the whole thing. Okay, okay, and they send us the music bed that they have cut in there and then we'll just add the elements in where it fit. Um, so we'll kind of tra- on we'll top, trailerize, trailerize it. Trailerize it, yeah. Or they'll take one of our songs from our catalog and cut it in and then say, hey, you know, can you tweak your song to kind of fit what we've done? Okay, I like that term trailerize. Yeah. Um, Kit, explain what that means to, to an audience who is trying to figure out how, how I'm going to do this for myself. When you say, I, I'm going to trailerize something, especially because you're in that context, you're talking about putting it on top of trailerizing music that it's already there, that they've provided for you, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So then to trailerize something that's already been a song that's already attached to the trailer itself. What are you, is that where the sound design comes in? Like what else are you doing yeah, to trailerize for ghostwriters? Uh, a lot of sound design, um, adding orchestral elements, um, big builds, swells, um, s- stuff like yeah, that. Yeah. Especially um, if it's older songs or pop songs or stuff that just doesn't have that driving element to it. That's mm-hmm. what we're going to add. We're going to double up on the drums and we're going to add hits and risers to it we're gonna add strings and brass to it sometimes depending on what they want really so sometimes it's just purely percussion based so we'll just layer on percussion to it and then sometimes it's a full full deal where it'll eventually just break out into an orchestral song right you know, an epic orchestral yep. piece so it'll kind of blend into that by the end um depending on what what the client wants yeah, I lo- and I love it when you guys do that kind of stuff. That's one of, I think it's probably one of people's favorite things listening to Ghostwriter music, you know, on a trailer is hearing it go from this song that people know in general and then just kind of builds and, and morphs into this huge orchestral, mm-hmm. you know, thing that's just this epic thing by the end of it, you know? And yeah. then there's always the big drop, right? Exactly, Eventually, just yeah. and there's, yeah. this, there's the mm-hmm. one piano 
ding. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, little piano, piano ding. Yeah. <laughs> the piano ding. Yeah. Um, so. There, yeah, there's certain things like that that just kind of keep on going like that. That yeah, single piano notes, the ping. Yeah. And then the, the ticking and then the. Yeah. yeah there's yeah. yeah there's elements that things that work really well yeah i mean they, they work well we we i mean we've always tried to push the boundaries and when we started you know like we were always trying to add elements in that were different um when we started creating a library our catalog we always tried to go a little more left to center mm-hmm. on our music um we never really wanted to be the cookie cutter mold of what was happening yeah. Um, obviously, the client's always going to demand what the client demands, and we, you know, so we try to always put our our yeah. twists and spin. On we things. start weird, and then we can dial it back. To yeah. 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 Show. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, when w- with your your library of music that you guys create, because so you're saying that you guys are creating music of your own that you just kind of have always on hand. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And then when a production reaches out, and says, "Hey, uh, we want you guys to provide music for us." Um, are they typically asking you to find something that you've already created or we want you to start from scratch or you here, here, here's the, here's the video, look at it. And then you guys end up just end up picking out, you know, you, you decide, Oh, I'm going to pull from this. We've already got, or we're just going to start from scratch or how does that typically yeah. work for you? Uh, everywhere in between besides all of it, the, besides the picture thing, we never get picture. Um, really? Uh, never, no. Okay, well, no. let's talk about that because I think that's important because I've heard both ways. You know, when when I write music, I'm in the more in the t- I'm in the TV world right now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like I want to get into film. Yeah. But right now, I'm in the TV writing library stuff. You know, the underscore for reality shows and whatever. So when I the, the libraries that I write for, you know, that's like what you just said, they don't ask for, we don't get the picture up front. Mm-hmm. We just say, they say, give us a minute and a half to two minute instrumental. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. here's the idea. Like they'll give us a sample. Okay. Make it something like this. And then you send it in with all the different stem versions. And then, um, you know, then they pitch it to the different shows and it ends up on whatever it, en- it ends up on, but yeah. we never get a video to look at. Now, when I've written music for some commercials, some ad type stuff. Mm-hmm. I have gotten video for for that picture yeah. for that, so that because they want you to write music to to fit what's happening, you know, all, all your risers and pops and punches and yeah. whatever mm-hmm. to hit on certain things. And of yeah. course, you have to be able to see what's happening when, so you know where to put that kind of stuff. Yeah. yeah. So, but that's that's interesting to me that you're saying that for a movie trailer, you're not getting. Uh, you're not getting any video to really work yeah, off of. For ads, we get video yeah, sometimes, for... but I think with movie trailers especially, it works It works better if they're cutting the picture to the music, the music because, you know, the tempo being kind of locked in like that works, yeah, works best. Typically what happens is the editor will start picking his, you know, his scenes and his selects, and he'll start building the story, right, without music altogether. Mm-hmm. And so they'll... You know, in a trailer, typically it's a it's called a three act progression. You have, you know, a little bit of your storytelling in the beginning, and then your middle section is kind of like your your meat and potatoes of what's happening uh, visually, and then your the third act is it's, it's the it's hook, the hook, everything. Yeah. Uh, you know, we're we're showing everything up until what's about to happen, right? Yeah. Uh, impending doom, 
you know, hero saves the day, maybe. I don't know. Who knows? Right. And then there's um, the piano ding. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, ding, right. So so they'll start they'll start piecing together what where what they want in those three sections and um and then come to us, hey, we we either started to kind of cut it with the song or B, we need a we need a song. We have nothing for it yet. And so they'll you know, ask us for either you know, a catalog queue and Macy here, um, who pulls all of our music, she'll go through our catalog and, and, uh, find a track or hit up, uh, Brian and Paige who are in LA. Those are our two main custom producers and say, Hey, we need a custom track for this, you know? And so they'll get it done. Sometimes we'll get multiple options done. Um, sometimes we'll get different songs, completely different songs done so that they, you know, the clients have options to work with. And then, and then they'll start cutting their picture to that cue and kind of chopping it up and, you know, so sometimes it's easier for them to kind of work with the track itself, than start, you know, start cutting picture and then us putting the music underneath it. Okay. So if you're doing it from that perspective, when a production company comes to you and says, we want you to we need music from you for this trailer. And are, are they, are they giving you some ideas of, you know, genre wise, what they're looking for? Because if it's a drama versus a comedy, you know, you're not going to create the same type of music. So how, how do you best know what type of music just to create from your, from your brain? So a couple of ways, they'll, they'll send us a brief kind of what they think the music should be like. Okay. Uh, sometimes they'll send, you know, links to other trailers and say, this is cool. We like what they did in okay. this section. Yeah, yeah. So they'll give us references. Yeah. Um, yeah. For like the music pull for pulling from a catalog, they'll send us references on genres. Mm-hmm. They'll tell us genres. They'll tell um, us tempo. They'll tell temp- us yeah. key. Okay. Sometimes. So that's, yeah. 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 Okay. So, that, that makes sense. I, yeah. That's what I would figure. I would, I would think, you know, I mean, it's the same thing to do for basically for TV stuff, but, um, but I got to ask because people listening just, don't necessarily know they're like they're trying to get into this uh into this world and kind of trying to figure some things out or e- even you know even guys like me who are in like I said I'm you know more in the TV world right now but wanting to be in more in the film side of things um just kind of learning that process but it's more similar than it is different yeah and there's there's so many variables too you know so i mean sometimes they're just like hey we're kind of lost. The client doesn't know what they want. We don't know what they want. What do you guys have? Like, yeah. what, what can you pull out of your back pocket that you think would be cool for this? And they'll just, they'll just yeah. sometimes just ask us. You know, after, after doing this for so many years, having a pretty good idea of what it needs to sound like yeah. at the end of the day for everyone to be happy with it. So. Yeah. How often do they come to you and say, we don't know what we want? You know, and they and they ask you your opinion. Like, how often? Well, they never tell us they don't know what they want. They, <laughs> they come to us with a bunch of like crazy ideas that are very all over the place. And yeah, that, that yeah. We it's have pretty to... safe to say we know that they don't know what they. Yeah, want. or just or just we're just trying to wrangle in what they what yeah. their ideas are, right? So yeah, sometimes their ideas are very obscure, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like, you know, and sometimes it's hard. I mean, sometimes you you know, in their defense, you, you don't really know what you want until you see it with the picture. And see what works. So, although he just plan on hearing it, they'll yeah. just hear. Oh, okay, yes, that sounds mm-hmm. right. Or like, that sounds like. Or yeah. they'll ask for something, and they're like, "Yeah, no, that didn't. Not what I thought it was sounding mm-hmm. like in my head." You know, so we'll have to kind of go back to the drawing board. How many? 
how many times do they give you to to come up with something? If you you create something the first time, you're like, yeah, that's not really what we're looking for. Like how, you know, there's a time limit on this stuff, right? Because they've got to get stuff out and yeah. Depends on the client. It depends okay. on the client. Yeah. yeah. Like we some, have some clients, some clients will work with us, you know, f- till the end of time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We have, we have some, you know, really good relationships where they'll like, if they ask for something that didn't quite hit on their mark, they'll just, okay, hey, hit the drum, you know, go back to it and figure mm-hmm. it out. Some clients, if you don't hit it the first time, you just, you just radio silent yeah. and. And some clients love doing custom, and and some clients don't. So yeah. they, you know, they don't really want if they if we don't nail it the first time, they're just mm-hmm. gonna move on to a catalog queue or something. Yeah. Uh, I have to ask you guys. My daughter is a huge Sonic the Hedgehog fan, and you guys worked on Sonic Two, and did some trailer music for that. Um, so in honor of my daughter Rachel, I have to ask you guys. <laughs> you know, what what that music was like for you putting kind of what the process maybe was for working on the Sonic to, if, do you remember kind of how that, that went for you guys? Yeah. So that was, that was, uh, I believe Brian was leading that one. Yeah. Um, Brian's in LA, right? He's yep. in LA. Yeah. He's, yeah. One, he's, he's our lead custom producer. I mean, LA. yeah, we worked on the first Sonic and the Sonic and, um, okay. well, I, it should be super ecstatic to know you did both of them. Yeah. So, I mean, typically Getting in that campaign the first time and even the second time was almost the same. It's just, you know, the energy, high energy, um, you know, adding that flair of nostalgia, you mm-hmm. know, to it. Um, we did different versions of the theme and, you know, layering it into different songs. Um, um, I'd have to look and see what song ended up we ended up using. Uh, we, we So a lot of the times with these campaigns, we'll end up doing... 10, 20 different versions of different songs. Really? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. See, that's good to know. Uh, so, And then know. they pick the one that they want. What they yeah, like and then it's, it together. ends up in different cuts and yeah. this and that. And then, you know, um, it, you know, yeah, it ends up in the trailer. Um, so there's, there's, yeah, some of these ones are just, we've done so many different versions of different tracks. I mean. Sure. Well, yeah. that's interesting to hear that you're doing 10 or 20 different versions of of a song to yeah. put into a trailer. Cause I, I wouldn't think, I wouldn't think that, um, I haven't experienced that in, in TV stuff. There's a lot of different levels of approvals that happen in uh, trailers. So, you know, first level is getting the music supervisor happy with it. Second level is getting the editors and producers happy with it. And then after that, it goes to the, to the studio creatives and they have to sign off on it. And then it goes to the filmmakers. And so it's, you know, it's really it's really a miracle that any trailer ever finishes because there's right, so many yeah. people that have to okay it before it goes out the door. Sure. It's it's uh yeah. That's um, so that's a good that brings me to I think it's a really good point and so I have to ask you that this then, you know, if there are that many, knowing that there are that many levels of approval you have to get, how often do you guys get part of the way up the flagpole before it gets shot down and you have to kind of start over? Does more, that happen very often for you guys? More times than yeah. it does. More than, more than not, right? Yeah. 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 So, um, I mean, we haven't ran the analytics in a while, but, you know, from the amount of projects we, we do and work on to what finishes is probably 30%, 30% range. Yeah. 
Wow. Yeah. And that's not even including all the different versions and stuff. You'd probably add that up. It's probably even less. Um, so, yeah, it's high risk, high reward, really. Yeah. yeah. Um, we, yeah, we work on a lot of projects that we don't end up getting. Um, and we, all of our stuff is on spec so for the trailer side of things. So you don't get paid unless it, unless unless it comes it finishes, through. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's, um, that's great. That's great information for, uh, for people to to know about because I was just getting ready to ask you if you get paid regardless if because there are other you're you're competing against other music houses right mm-hmm. I mean yeah so it's you know it goes from the studios to the to the vendors who cut the trailers and sometimes there's two or three or four or even more vendors that are cutting com- they're competing for one trailer and then those vendors hit us up, and depending, we'll, we might get a couple of them that hit us up for the same project. Okay. But we really try to only work with one vendor per project, and um, and so then we'll work on that. And internally, in each vendor, they'll have a couple editors working on that same project. So there might be 10, 20 cuts going on at the same time. And only one of them's gonna finish. And only one of them's gonna finish. And everybody, everybody, everyone is vying for the same slot. Yeah. Right. And and with that, with a lot of these, you know, big budget, you know, especially the action movies, these blockbuster movies, they'll, you know, these twenty cuts will go through, and they'll dwindle them down to four or five, and then they'll do testing, and they'll go through up the ranks, and then they'll, you know, it get, hits the director, and the director's like, yeah, I don't like any of them, and then it's just start from scratch. Start from scratch. Yeah. yeah. Man, um, that's so, yeah, way I mean, deeper than I was expecting yeah, it to go. <laughs> so we, so we pride ourselves on on really um, trying to work with the the least amount of composers. We don't blast it out to a bunch of composers and try to get as many yeah. cues as we possibly can. So we our, our roster of composers, we we know who specializes at what sound, and we pick that composer to work on that campaign. We try to maximize their chance to it at landing yeah. the project, and mm-hmm. um, instead of just blasting it out to a bunch of different people, um, we'll pick a couple composers or just one composer. Period. He'll he'll be the one to work on that campaign if we can. Um, sometimes we just don't have the ability because he we have to have multiple tracks going on at the same time, and the deadlines are yeah within a day. You yeah. know, so um, wow. you're so you guys are having to create a full trailer of music in. In 24 hours and turn it in. Oh, yeah. I mean, I know yeah. it happens a lot in TVs, TV stuff, but I mean, uh-huh. yeah, maybe maybe five hours. Really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. From, I mean, from scratch, starting from scratch, right? Yeah. I mean, they'll the guy, a lot of the guys will have they have their templates set up and kind of their all their sounds and everything in place. So then when we hit them up, they'll either pull the track in that they're going to overlay on, or when they start from scratch, they'll just, just kind of have ideas and elements already mm-hmm. in place and just build it from there. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the timelines are super tight. Can you uh, talk a little bit about uh, about that, about the importance of having, te- you know, pre-made templates already in your doll ready to go for when you get the call, you got five hours or less to yeah. finish this and get it, hopefully get it approved. Um, can you kind of talk about, you know, the best, maybe the best way to, to go about having that kind of stuff all ready to go. Or- yeah, I mean, Chris always had a very clean and tight template because of that. Yeah. It's like you have to everything's know where everything in, is. Everything's in order. You know where everything is, and every session is going to be laid out exactly the same because you're always jumping back and forth to different things. So 
Yeah, and having, I always found out that having having everything in the exact same order every time, color coded the same way, um, was just m- a much better. Yeah, workflow. and yeah, making sure that everything's you're not adding in tracks or buses or stuff during when you're doing it because then you'll miss you'll miss it when you go to print your stems and your master and stuff like mm-hmm. that. And, and, you know, if you don't have all your your IO and everything set up beforehand, what happens is they go to you know. I say, hey, can you print me your track and send me stems too? I don't have the time to check all the, the uh, you know, the composer stems when I have to send it to the client because the client's like, hey, I need it now. And it took them, you know, an, an hour to get me stems. I don't have time to go through and, and uh, you know, check their stems. And so I'll send it out. And if you don't, if you don't have a good clean template and, and everything's set up right and, and then all of a sudden it doesn't print a stem, they're, they're cutting it in. They're starting to work with it. And they're like, yeah, I think I'm missing something here. And then they have to go back to me and they have to go back to the composer. So having a, an organized template and having it all set up and ready to print is, is very important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's and great. saving versions. And save, yeah. Every time yeah. I say, Every time you make a change, say, hey, can, I, can you change this? Save a version. Hey, can you change this? Save a version. Because what happens is, is when I, we send it out to the client, mm-hmm. And we're, we get down seven versions down the road. They're like, okay, cool. Yeah, we actually just want to go with V2. Can you send me stems for that? <laughs> yeah. and you're like, oh, so no, if you didn't save that, then you're trying to undo what you did to figure out how to yeah, get back and to you can, only, versions, you can only unsave so far or go yeah. back so far. And the version yeah. will go quickly. I mean, from V2 to V7, it, it might be within a couple hours that yeah. we did that many versions, you mm-hmm. know? So yeah. always saving versions. Um, I mean, we even try to print out stems for every single version along the road, no matter if they ask for it or not. Um, just because this the speedy process, they're like, cool. Can you know we're, we're on V ten now? Can can you send me stems for V two? We wanted to just kind of pick that apart. Yeah, or yeah. they'll they're cutting as they're going, so they'll end up with you know a music bed that has you know five different versions all cut together in there. Um, I mean, so you, you sure. have to you if have that, to have yeah. All, all I mean, and they don't keep track of it as they're doing it, obviously, because if they're going back to you saying, hey, we need version two. We'll oh just, yeah, they're just yeah, they're, they're just cutting with the stereo mix, and then and then they're like, "Cool, we want to break this apart." Or when it goes to mix on the stage, they need to have the stems ready um, for the final mix for the trailer. Mm-hmm. So the you know the mixer there on stage wants to have all the stems available. So when you know the producer and directors on stage watching the trailer and the final mix, they're like, "Cool, can we just boost the drums in this yeah. section?" They can't do that in a stereo mix. Right. Yeah, so. Yeah. Um, it has to be all available. So, yeah, it's it's really important to be organized in this process. Um, I mean, we'll we'll have to just, you know, if if a composer consistently does something where it's not correct and we're we're the client's getting mad at us because of the mistakes the composer's making, eventually that composer's not going to be working with us. Uh, not in the sense of like we're mad at them or anything, it's just, you know, yeah. that's it's part of it, not only making good music but also being consistent and organized and on top of it um and it's and it's the the hard part of this business is like we're calling you know sometimes we're calling these composers at two o'clock in the morning and being like hey the client needs this now it's mixing tomorrow we need this you know so we need this little change we're like calling and waking people up or you know somebody's out to dinner and we're like okay right when you get back hop on this because we need it um yeah, the the dark side of the trailer industry is that it's it runs 24/7 365 days a year. It doesn't stop. So um yeah, so but there's guys out there who are really good at it. And, yeah. Yeah. That's so, interesting to it's hear. Not for everybody. It's not for, <laughs> it's not for everybody. Yeah. yeah not for everybody. 
not yeah, for the faint of heart. It's a very specific type of music. Yeah. And it takes a very specific type of person to yeah. be able to handle making this kind of music. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you could write catalog uh, all day, but the mm-hmm. the custom world in this is for somebody who's who's wants to do it. They have to want to do it. Yeah. Um, and so, because it's, it's It consumes nonstop. your life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I want how does that if I can ask you guys this, if you if you can answer, um, how does that affect relationships? I mean, you know, you guys are married. We're all married. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, you're, the guys who write for you probably are as well. Um, so when it's knowing that it's 24-7 and you guys call at 2 o'clock in the morning or in the middle of supper, you know, with someone's family and say, hey, they need this in an hour, you know, and you got to get up and do it. How does that affect relationships? Um, it's it's stressful, you yeah. know. Uh, me and me and Travis are a little bit more at the point now where we don't kind of have that schedule anymore. Yeah, as as bad. I mean, we're still on call twenty four seven doing all this stuff. But you know, in the early days of Ghost Rider, when it was when it was just me and then just me and Travis, it was you know you're on call twenty four seven and you got to drop what you're doing to get it done. Um, best example that i can give uh when we were in the hospital my wife was giving birth to our first child i had oh, to no. jump on a phone call to take notes for a trailer we were working on yeah so you know it's it's a lot of sacrifice and it uh it's it's definitely hard on relationships well yeah. that's yeah we got a lot of young guys um but there i mean yeah we have married guys out there and uh, people that make it work. And, and we try, we also try to make it work the best we can too. Um, sure. By, you know, evening out projects and not overloading people. Um, mm-hmm. Buying but, as much time as we can. Yeah. When we can. If somebody says, hey, I can't, can, you know, I, I got something going on tonight. You know, if something comes in and so we'll just try to buy time and yeah, as much as we can. So do you guys as ghost writers and having, different composers that that write for you. Um, you know, I know you guys are huge on the action and the big risers and, you know, all that kind of stuff and the piano ding and whatever. Um, do you guys do a, a lot of, or do you, you have composers that write specifically for certain genres? So, you know, like, a, you know, a family-friendly, you know, a family-friendly movie that's, it's more singer-songwriter type of a trailer you know guitar like acoustic guitar and you know ukuleles and things like that Mm -hmm. you know versus big orchestral epic type stuff do you guys um do you guys kind of spread across all genres and and creating music for those types of things or yeah yeah so when a project comes in and they're like hey it needs it's a marvel project we have an idea we have a couple composers that we know would kill this or we have a project that comes in and they're like, hey, we want, you know, this Dandy Elfman feel. Whimsical, Whimsical. family-friendly. Like, okay, you know, we have, we have we the composer. Yeah, we got a guy for yeah. that. So, uh, yeah, we, 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 that's also what we try to do is match the project to the composer because if the composer, if that's what they're really good at, obviously the sound is going to be better. Yeah. Um, there is a lot of, you know, um, Swiss Army Knife guys out there that can do it all. Mm-hmm. Um, but everyone has their, like, Sure, they're strong they're, points. They're strong points, yeah. and we mm-hmm. always try to match the strong point. Yeah, 
uh, as best we can. And obviously, sometimes we're just like, hey, we got to get this thing done. Um, and we, we're running out of people to use. So we'll find somebody that's can, you know, get it done. And, and us here, Chris and myself, and then also Brian and, and Paige, um, have the ability to also like, okay, once we he- once the composers worked on it and they sent us their V1, we can give them notes back. Okay, this is, I know this is what the clients is going to ask us for because you didn't hit the mark on these points. And so that's our job is to kind of go back to them. Okay, can you do this? And we, and we can also explain how to get that done to us all working uh, in the trailer industry, also all kind of composing music for the trailers. We can go back and, hey, this is what you need to do. And if they... If they're like, I don't know how to do that. We can kind of work them through and help them mm-hmm. to get there. Do you guys have um, certain genres that that you are requested to create music for over others? I mean, is it more usually, I know you guys do like the, the epic stuff a lot and kind of the quirky left to center thing and, you know, a lot of rock rock oriented type stuff. But um, that's at least that's what's on your website and YouTube channels and things like that. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Um, I think the the industry as a whole goes through kind of phases um on what they want yeah yeah so right right now we're still really deep into the the overlay phase of like the you know 60s 70s 80s music that you know that recognizable sound but make it work for a trailer that's kind of that's kind of the the big thing still Mm -hmm. these days so i've done a, a lot of covers you know taking up you know a pop cover from the 60s, 80s, whatever, and then doing like a darker, slow slow version. Like that's a big thing that's past few years, that's been a big deal. Yeah. Um, and so and kind of creating, you know, the piano-based, real haunting female vocal, you know, that's something that's a, a happy-go-lucky <laughs> song from... Yeah. The '80s, whatever, and then turning it real haunting, and then it and then it grows and becomes this big epic orchestral thing. Sure. Um, do you guys enjoy doing that stuff as much as just creating something from scratch? I mean, or, doing originals is always a preference, right? It's, yeah, it's definitely yeah. more rewarding to um, come up with an original piece of music. We've done. We've. I mean, we've gotten music and and a lot of trailers and TV spots and um, catalog cues that we've landed in a lot of stuff. Um, and it's always rewarding when we can take an original track and, and, and land it, especially if we get it from front to back, the full, the full trailer. Cause a lot of times they'll use different cues throughout, you know, they'll start with one and then they'll end with another. From um, someone else. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, sometimes it'll just be like, Oh, the beginning of the trailer will just be like some sound design or like a piano cue mm-hmm. or something light. And then it'll go into another song and it'll end with another song. Like, I mean, or if you're talking about animation, you could have like five or six tracks in there, mm-hmm. um, depending on the the genre of, uh, of movie. Um, so when we can, when we can land a trailer that's front to back, all original, like that's as far as for our company goes, that's pretty like, you know, it's always the goal. It's always yeah. the goal. Just, yeah. just purely based on like, that's, our music and that's you know that's ours 100 percent. so that's interesting i i didn't know that um that there would be different cues throughout i mean that happens all the time in in reality tv that's just part of it but as far as like a a two and a half three minute trailer movie trailer Mm -hmm. um i did not expect you to say 
that you might only be a section of it, and it, there could be three or four others thrown in there from yeah. some, from other people. Yeah, if you go back and listen, you don't notice it when you just watch a trailer because they do a good job on matching key. That's what I say. Like when they ask us for a catalog key, like, hey, we need the key of G because they already have a song in there, and they just need a intro or they just need a middle section or they just need a back end. Yeah, um, they'll ask us for that. Um, so if you're doing everything on spec mm-hmm. and you don't get paid until it actually, you know. Shows shows up on on screen on, yeah. on screen somewhere yeah. to, to watch it. Um, how does that? If I can ask you guys this, and you don't have to give specifics, but just in, in general, how does that affect what a trailer company would get paid if you're only going to have twenty seconds of music in a trailer versus three minutes? Like, how how big of a change is that financially for? For anybody, not, not just ghostwriters, but just across the board, how does that typically work? Can you explain that a little bit? Yeah. So, I mean, the way we quote is based on time, timing. So the timing of the usage, the, you know, whether it's going to be all media worldwide in perpetuity or whether it's just going to be all media excluding theatrical. Uh, it could just be an online piece. So, I mean, there's just a million different ways that these things get Quoted. Yeah, and then if for like the custom stuff, we'll we'll kind of listen through because Chris and I do all the licensing and quoting and stuff like that. So we'll we'll listen through, engage like, okay, you know, this is how much time we felt like we spent on it, and not not only the time that we spent on it, but like the intricacy of it, right? Because they might say, hey, we need this in two hours, but we had to rely on like our number one guy because we know he's gonna, it's gonna you know he's the one that's gonna finish in two hours and it's gonna sound good, right? So um, we always try not to say like, oh, well, you know, it took us 20 hours to do because we could also do an amazing piece in a couple hours and we don't want to diminish the value of something just because we were able to finish it so quickly. Yeah. Um, and that's why they come to us a lot of times too. Um, so they'll come to us and be like, Hey, we're in a time crunch here. We gotta, we gotta send this out to the client. We need, we need this piece of music for the back end or wherever. Um, can you guys get it done? And we always say yes. Uh, um, so, yeah, there's a lot of variables on how we quote the custom stuff, too, in that sense. But, yeah, it's also hard, too, because we've talked about this multiple times, is the client who we work for is the vendor who's cutting the trailer. But who we quote to and get paid from is the studio. And the two aren't the same, right? So the client's the one asking us for all this work. And uh, how much ever they need, and then the studio comes to us and says, "Hey, how much? How much are you charging for this?" And we'll say, "This is what we're going to charge for." It. And they're like, "Well, why? Why is it so much?" And we're like, "Well, you only see this one piece of cue that's thirty seconds long, but we've been doing, you know, we've done fifteen cues that are two and a half minutes long. We've done five versions of each. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? So yeah. uh, there's a disconnect between the two, uh, yeah. obviously, because." The studio just all they see is the cue sheet that has the cues in it right then and there. Yeah, they see twenty seconds, not so three minutes times yeah. five. So it's our job, Chris and I, is to kind of negotiate with the studio and and make them feel like they're getting the best deal, but also we're trying to protect ourselves and our composers and making sure they're getting paid for the work that they've done. Mm-hmm. Um, so, what is that like now for you guys, going from starting Chris, starting Ghostwriter in your garage? Just one guy, then became the two of you. Now you've got a, a company of people that work for you. And you guys went from being the initial composers 
on your own, you know, kind of having to figure out how to do all this together to now you're running this conglomerate, you know, and you're, you know, you're the heads of this, of this company now that you're not so much in the composing side of it as you are in the managing side of it. I'm sure, I mean, I'm, I'm sure you guys are doing a mix of the two, but you know, you're much more on the, you know, the books side of thing. And, and like you're talking about the negotiating and that kind of stuff more than on the, just the composing side of it. So how is it different for you now as it was back when you first started the company? Um, trading stress for stress. Yeah. <laughs> yeah different, a different yeah. kind of stress. Yeah. I mean, when we just had to re- worry about ourselves, we were like, cool, we can, we can hustle to get these projects in. So we got paid so we can pay ourselves mm-hmm. to now we're, and then we were in control of what we were doing. Right. He was composing and I was doing sound design and, and I was passing stuff to him and he was passing stuff to me. And, and, um, but now it's like, you know, when projects are coming through and we're trying to, we're trying to get paid for things. And so now we're trying to, we're worried about other people's salaries and other people's, you know, incomes. And um, yeah, so there's just a different type of stress. Um, Luckily now, I mean, we, we put in a lot of hours to get to this point. So um, like I said, we're still on call 24 seven, but it's nights we can leave here at five o'clock and Mm, we go be with our families and be with our families and be stressed at home instead of being stressed. stressed Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, you know, when we are, you know, uh, working on the post-production side of things in, in Hollywood, it was like we were there, you know. I mean, we were we were together more than we were with our families, for sure. Um, you know, I would be sleeping on his couch most of the time because we were there till, you know, 2 or 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning. So if they, you got the phone call at 2 o'clock in the morning say, saying, hey, we need this music, you guys are working on it already well, anyway, right? That, yeah, <laughs> at the time it was we were, you know, we were mixing. We were like the final step in the in the trailer process. So we were like handling the, the mix of the actual, the full trailer itself. Um, so a lot of the times it was, you know, w- mixing all day um, and then waiting for approvals and then waiting for, you know, executives to show up. And then when they showed up, we had to print everything out and send it out. And, you mm-hmm. you know, we we're there until, you know, two o'clock in the morning. And then you had to be back there then eight o'clock in the morning the next day to get them ready for the next trailer. Mm-hmm. Um, so... So now it's, um, and then went to doing that for the music side, and now it's, you know, we have a team, and we have a great team here who handles everything very well. Um, yeah, yeah a, really, a really solid group of people. Um, so that stress of, of it is, is nice because we can kind of, you know, now it's just trying to figure out, okay, what's the next move? And, um, and now we're, you know, we're in the point now where we're, we're pushing out, outwards. We're getting, you know, trailers and we're doing commercials and uh, advertising outside of trailer world mm-hmm. and uh, in show stuff in show TV. yeah tv and film are you okay um, yeah we started um essentially not another label but we we started an artist series so we're picking up like actual artists um specifically for advertising and film and tv okay um so kind of getting into what you know what we've always wanted to is just just music in general like not just trailer music but we want to be like a provider of music across the board um so we we've got the trailer stuff down and now it's we're kind of like moving on to the next steps of picking up more music um in different genres and 
world's domination. Yeah, world, world domination. domination. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What? Uh, yeah. What? Uh, what? What is different that you guys have found from doing movie trailer music to doing at TV ads, you know, commercials or in show type? Like, what's the difference that you guys have seen in the styles or how that how the process works? Uh, I mean, timelines. Timelines are generally yeah. longer and everything other yeah. than trailers. Yeah, timelines are longer. We get picture um, sometimes. Yeah. For ads. Uh, for ads, yeah. Um, but then like just working with with more artists instead of composers, right? Composers, they're in their, you know, in their rooms at home making music and they kind of focused in on knowing that they're making music specifically for something, right? Mm -hmm. Where the artist is making music for themselves and then trying to release it to the world. So it's a different mentality. Mm -hmm. um, and especially in a day and age when I think everybody um, is worried about giving their music up to, you know, these companies because they, they fear that the companies is going to steal what they have, right? So we're trying to educate people. It's like, hey, you know, if you're making this record that you feel like near and dear to your heart, you want to share it with the world, you take that record. But if you want to write something for us that's in that, in that wheelhouse, in that genre that you want to just try to make money on. That's what we're trying to do is we're trying to, this perfect for this podcast is trying to let know, artists know that they can still write music and make money writing music instead right. of just waiting for this massive record deal or waiting for their song to just blow up on its own yeah. organically. Is we're here to go, oh, in the meantime, we're collecting artists and then pushing these artists to hundreds of if not thousands of music supervisors across the world yeah. and getting it placed in TV and film and advertising. And stuff yeah. Like that. So you guys are basically becoming a sync licensing agency in that respect. Yeah. In that yeah. sense. Yeah. We're still, um, we're kind of like in that like catalog slash sync world. Right. Mm -hmm. So um, we still focus mainly on being a, a catalog of music. Right. Yeah. So we're able to um, be a one-stop for all of our clients. So when you guys are doing that, are you considered, um, are you still, is this still under a ghostwriters or is this a different name? It's all, yeah, it's all under ghostwriter. So okay. we, we went back and forth on, on the branding and, and starting a different label and this and that, but we decided that the ghost ghostwriter is what we've always been and what we've always been good at. And we know that, um, people already recognize the name and we're just kind of, we're, a new we'll have a new website coming out um uh before this podcast comes out um but yeah it'll kind of just be like we're just music music for all media right yeah. so not just trailers we're we're kind of across the board yeah um yeah. what what uh what kind of artists are you looking for like genre wise for that that part of the business everything yeah we go everything but yeah. we kind of we've kind of narrowed down on the like Pop, hip hop, and then obviously being in in Nashville, we've actually been able to pick up a lot of country, folk, uh, southern rock type music as well, mm -hmm. um, which actually has been pretty uh, good for us so far. Um, being out here, I think I don't know if it's just the idea of being in Nashville, but yeah. people All of started our Los Angeles supervisors are hitting us up, going, "Oh, you guys are in Nashville. We need you guys, some country. You music. got some country music?" And, and we're like, "Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah." Well, yeah. So that's that's. Interesting and encouraging to hear that you you got LA guys asking for country music because mm -hmm. for years now, um, so many of the the sync agents that I work with or the supervisors I know say 
no country. Yeah. yeah. Or have said no country. I mean, they, there's a whole, I, I feel like a whole resurgence of usage for that stuff. Yeah. You know, with new shows coming out like Monarch or, or Yellowstone. Yeah. You know, you know, they're using a lot of country music. Yeah. And, that show. and then even just like the kind of country folk slash Southern rock, yeah. like that genre has kind of like come up too, you know? Um, yeah. Uh, so yeah, no, it's been, that's been really cool. Um, and then being out here, like going to shows and meeting people and stuff has been, been awesome and being able to find people. I mean, the, the country music people out here work hard. Like the writers and songwriters and stuff, like they, they understand uh, the grind. The grind, yeah. yeah. Um, they're out playing shows all the time. And so when you say, hey, go to the studio and, and cut a couple songs for us, you know, on your free time, uh, most of them are really just excited just to, to write music and, and make stuff for, mm-hmm. for something. Uh, yeah. So it's been really cool. So I have to ask you guys, what made you decide to move from L.A. to come out to Nashville? I'm grateful that you did, but what made you, when did you do that? And what made you decide that you wanted to come out here? What was the appeal for bringing Ghost Rider to Nashville? I mean, Nashville's always been on my radar as a city that I wanted to live in. Um, So, you know, eventually the plan was to always open, you know, a branch of Ghost Rider here uh, just because I wanted to live in Nashville. Okay. but when COVID happened and everything shut down and everyone was working from home, me and Travis looked at each other and said, you know, if we can do this from home, we could do this from Nashville. Let's, yeah. let's do it now. Yeah. So, so yeah, it was kind of, here and, you know, yeah, it wasn't quite been, on the, the plan. We, we, we came out here in 2019 and we're looking at places and, and we're like, yeah, not sure if it's quite the time we were expanding. The majority our, of our clients are still in all, Los yeah, Angeles. All of our clients are still in Los Angeles. We're kind of expanding our team a little bit. We were all working in the office in LA at the time. And so we're like, yeah, it's not quite the time. And then COVID hit and everyone was working from home. And some of our people were like, hey, I'm going to just head to Colorado for a month. You mind if I work there? Like, yeah, sure, go for it. And then we're like, well, let's mm-hmm. just move. And so we did. And uh, it's, yeah, it's actually worked out great picking up people here. Um, expanding the team out here and having the LA team being a couple hours ahead has actually worked out pretty well. LA team's working and then yeah. they pass stuff off to us sometimes and we're able to kind of catch up in the morning and get things done before they even wake up. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, it's been, it's been fantastic. That's good. When you're looking for composers for trailer music, uh, what are you looking for in a composer to hire them on? We get a lot of submissions. So, and generally, we listen to all of them, and and we can tell within the first fifteen seconds of a cue whether this is someone who's good, yeah, who's going to be good for trailers. First and foremost, we want the the production value to be there, right? Um, with the amount of libraries there's available to composers nowadays, um, it's pretty easy for composers just to make the music, but it takes somebody who has experience to make it sound good. Um, so that's like the first thing. And then the second thing is just uniqueness, right? There's a dime a dozen of, especially in the trailer world, everybody kind of copies each other in the sense of style and music. Um, so you, there's a bunch of people out there that write perfectly great trailer mm-hmm. music and sounds fine, you know, but we don't necessarily just want something that just sounds like what everybody else has. So yeah, I, I always love, like, I'm I'm super into like, you know, 
send me the weirdest stuff you can do. <laughs> and then and then I'll look at it and go, okay, now how can we make this work for trailer music? Because yeah. that's, you know, I feel like that's innovation. Yeah, and I'm, I'm more in the sense of like, I want it to sound like the actual production has to be, for me, has to be top notch. And then what unique value do they add to it? Um, and so when we kind of combine that yeah. together, uh, we come with a pretty good product. Yeah. 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 As you can tell from this interview, Travis is the realistic one. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm, I'm the big ideas. You yeah. Know, right? yeah. You're the dreamer. Yeah. 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 Okay. Travis is the, whoa, whoa, whoa. Well, hold, hold on. on now. Yes. Hold on. So yeah, we've figured out how this works. So yeah. That's cool. Well, that, yeah. But that's a great pairing though. Yeah. You it know, is. I mean, yeah. it's like a marriage in a lot of ways. Yeah, yeah together for a long time <laughs> yeah that's great yeah um what would be some advice that you guys would give to composers i know we're talking about you know expanding to different different areas of of music um getting in the tv world and ads and things like that but just as far as the trailer side of things um you know what's some advice that you would tell composers you know these are the things that you need to do that we're looking for that you know or that any trailer house really is looking for if you're going to write music for film um or some things that maybe you should avoid try not to do these things you know they don't look kindly on on certain things you know that they might have a tendency to do or whatever um what would be some advice that you guys would give on that um don't try to sound like like someone else, I guess. I mean, you know. And it sounds like that's a hard thing to do from it, what you were saying, Travis, you were saying earlier, that it kind of they have a tendency to kind of all sound the same. Yeah. Yeah, because I feel, you know, you, these people, they watch the trailers, they they go on these forums and they find that, you know, there's there's a lot of like, so there's kind of like these like, um, you know, big Support trailer, groups. like, you know, um, composers out there right there's a handful of them that everybody kind of looks up to which is which i think is great and these guys are usually really helpful on giving the information out but i feel like everybody tries to like okay well then i need to sound like them yeah and it kind of uh we've kind of got this like pigeonhole in this industry where everybody's kind of done that so there's so much music out there that sounds very similar yeah. sure like if you're um, if you're writing music to sound like someone else and it's already too late before you even re yeah, release it what, what were you into before you got into trailer music were yeah. you into punk rock were you into you know hip-hop pop like take influences from from music outside of the trailer world and yeah. try to incorporate it in what you're doing have your own your own voice and your yeah you know, yeah something to set you apart from yeah if you were if you were making doing. a band like if you were creating a band how would you sound different than the other bands right yeah. and i feel like nobody there hasn't been a lot of people that have been thinking that way i think recently i've been getting a lot of music that's like okay, it sounds the same sounds the same and it's never been like oh wow this is different now are we going to use the thing that's different? No, but you need, you're going to have to grab the attention of these production labels because they get, I mean, some of the bigger labels get way more than we do. And I'm getting, you know, five, 10 a day um, just on myself. So, um, and, you know, so you, you have to be able to try to find something that's going to grab the attention of who you're sending it to. Um, so I think that's, yeah, a perfect example of what to, what to do and what not to do. Mm -hmm. Um yeah, and then and then find find your land. This kind of goes across the board for production music in general. Uh, making music in this industry is 
uh, find what you're what you're good at um, and what you like right? and what you like to do. You know, that's the, that's the one question that I ask a lot of composers when they're saying, "Hey, what do you guys need? I want to write an album for you." I, I ask them, "What is your favorite style of music to write?" Yeah, because that's what I want them to write. Because if 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 they enjoy writing that style of music, it shows in the final in the final product. Yeah. Know? Um, yeah, so find your lane and, and find what you're good at and find what you like to write um, because ultimately it's going to be your job, right? You're yep. going to be spending hours. and I mean, most of the time these guys spend more than 40 hours a week in the studio writing music, so you might as well be doing something that you like to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, don't be precious about your music either. And then, yeah, that I was going to say is like... In this business, you're not writing the music for you. You're writing it for... Right, someone, someone else. else. If you're asking friends and family, or if you're asking people online, like, "Hey, I want your opinions," I want you want real opinions, and not somebody says, "Oh man, that sounds amazing." No, no, like, does like what? What do you like? And what do you not like about it? Right. And be brutally honest, because that's the only way that you're going to be able to and take the and take the you know the opinions and actually change try and change what you're doing based off people's opinions. I think a lot of people like go like somebody says something and they're like, "Oh well." They don't know what they're talking about. So move on to the next person instead of being like, oh, well, man, this person doesn't really doesn't like the way I do this. Yeah. What what, should, what could I do differently? You know? Sure. When it comes to working with the new artists in the TV type world, that kind of thing, you were looking for all types of genres. Have you guys been, have you found that there are certain genres that you're getting asked for in the TV or ad side of things more than certain other ones currently? Or is it kind of been you're going to ask for everything from, from the cl- from the production companies. Yeah. That's the thing about, about the artist stuff and the, and the TV, like in show side or even advertising side is it's, it's across the board. It's yeah. whatever's popular one, at the moment. Yeah. You know, you're looking for, you know, K-pop to a country song to, you know, a soul funk track to everything. Mm-hmm. A lot of the times I think what's most important about writing, you know, that artist music for sync licensing is lyrical content. Yeah. Yeah. Because, yeah, know, think, you, think you, about you don't want to have things too specific or. Yeah, the universal lyrics. Yeah. Thing. So, universal lyrics. Yeah. Universal lyrics and, and, you know, your style of music. Are you, if you're writing hip hop, you know, you should be writing it for like, you know, I'm king of the world or like something that's heroic or uplifting or, you know, like, because most likely it's going to be for, you know, ESPN ads or, you know, some sort of like more in the streets or, you know what I mean? Like you're, you you got to start thinking about like how you're going to write the music and not just write it for yourself, but write it for something in specific. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so that's why I say like, Hey, if you got something that you're in love with, it's a piece of music that you love and you want to share with the world, that's yours. But w- what do you want to write? Can you write something else that's specific for, yeah. you know, say, Hey, I'll, I'll even give you a brief and tell you like a fake brief and say, Hey, write something for this. And, yeah. And um, just get get artists out there, like n- not waiting just for that one moment, but starting to make mu- make money on the side while they're while they're still waiting for their their shot, you know. Which in turn is going to end up being where they actually make money is in the yeah. in the TV world sure, because yeah. <laughs> from experience yeah. as an artist, you know, with for me as an artist, and then for me writing music for TV. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, across the board, there there is a there's more money to, to be made by far writing music for TV yeah. and film than as an artist 
thing going out and doing your own thing on the radio. Oh, yeah. yeah, maybe you won't get famous, <laughs> but, you know, but but uh, you yeah, know, you'll make a comfortable living and yeah. Maybe you'll just yeah. make some money. Maybe you'll recoup the costs that you spent at the studio. And, yeah. you know, like, that's the thing is, like, there's money to be made. And so that's what we always tell, tell the artists is just, you know, in the meantime, try and, and work for what you're doing yeah. and, and make money. And then... When you guys are... When you guys sign an artist to do more of the sync licensing type stuff... Um, are you guys doing exclusive only? Or are you doing non-exclusive? It's all, all non-exclusive. So non the music that they submit to us is exclusive to us, but they are free to write for anyone else. Or right. So they're, you're else, exclusive yeah. in the sense that if I write a song and I pitch it to you guys and you accept it, it's, exclu it's exclusive to Ghostwriter. Mm -hmm. I can't send that to another company. You yeah. can't, yeah. But, but I can but write for another company. you're free to country. write another song and send that to another company. And right. you can be writing mm -hmm. for, you know, yeah. all... Everybody, if you wanted to. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah, we don't. Yeah, we don't exclusively hold anybody. Um, besides, our unless the song, composers. unless it's the song itself. Yeah, the song itself, exactly. Yeah. Um, and typically, we we hold masters because it's easier for us to control. Um, a lot of times, being in the production side of things, these studios or whatever, they want one stop. They want to go to us and say, "Hey, how much does this cost?" You know, we control both sides of everything, and that allows. Uh, everything to move faster and easier and yeah. across mm -hmm. the board. Yeah. Um, if they're going to go to a big artist, then yeah, they're going to have to talk to management and, and yeah. so on. Publishing. And publishing. And 30 and different people that own, yeah. you know, 3% so, of the public. Yeah, so there, what so. we try to tell the artist too is like, hey, if we're if you're creating top 40 tracks, right, style top 40 style tracks, we can pitch it like that and we're obviously not going to get the same money as, you know, Lizzo or whoever, but we're gonna pitch it like that. We're gonna pitch you guys like you're a top forty artist, but it's gonna be so much. And the, the client's gonna to come to us and be like, "Okay, how do I clear this?" I'm like, "Oh, just clear it all through us," and makes it super easy. And that allows them to want to use that track and want to use us more and wants to use that artist more. And so yeah. it's much easier that way. How long have you guys been into the into the TV sync side of things so far? I mean, we've we've dabbled in it for a while now. Uh, mm -hmm. but we've really kind of heavily pushed in the last year. So, so can you, what are some shows that you guys have had some music on as far as the TV stuff goes? Cause everybody knows you as, as trailer music, Yeah, you know, so just um, getting into the TV side of things, what are some shows people would know? Yeah, we, we got a, we got some cues in the, the game, which is a Paramount plus show. Um, we've gotten a uh, cue into some like, um, I guess we could say Monarch. Yeah, Monarch right, is that'll coming probably up. be released by the time this yeah. podcast comes out. Yeah, um, that's with Trace Atkins, that the yes, country, mm -hmm. the yeah. new country show. Yeah, yeah, um, some uh, some game show stuff. Um, so, alter but ego. Yeah, alter ego. Yeah. Um, so yeah, just just starting to to get into it now, um, but we we hope in the next you know six months it'll jump up pretty big. Yeah. Um, because we really just started signing artists in the last six months. Okay. Um, so we just started our artist series release last month. And so we'll be releasing um, artist music once a month. So when you guys are releasing artist music, you, Chris, I think you were saying earlier that um, an artist putting out an album that you guys would pitch, right? Mm -hmm. And I've seen a lot, of, a lot of libraries do that. Some do and some don't. Um, when I'm writing for for different li uh, libraries or the sync agencies that I write for, 
um, it's per song is how it's set up. It's not set up, hey, send me a, they don't, they don't ask me to send them a 10 song yeah. album. So that's something that we've done differently since the beginning of Ghostwriter is we rarely do compilations. So what we like to do is give every composer, every artist, you know, everyone who's writing for us their time to shine on a release. So we do generally 10 track albums that we release and it's an album with one composer on it. Unless there's a composer that like collaborates a lot. We have some composers yeah. that collaborate together and so there'll be like the two know, of them or three of them on it. We just feel like but, that gives that gives each person their their spotlight and they're not competing within an album to Yeah. Know. Yeah. So Yeah, some of the bigger production labels will have, you know, an album that will have twenty or thirty tracks on it with fifteen to twenty composers on it. Mm-hmm. So uh, which which works in there in that sense, but we feel like you know we want this this composer he'll write the album from front to back and the music's cohesive and it's uh, it's it's an album you know mm-hmm. in itself so mm-hmm. gotcha yeah it's just different ways of yeah. doing it you know yeah it's it's the same basic idea as you know what we do with custom stuff is we pair each project with the composer that we think is best for that project uh, we kind of look at albums the same way mm-hmm. you know. So when you ha- when a, a composer is writing for you guys and you're pitching music on spec to trailers, um, but if you got a composer that's writing for you, uh, are they writing it basically on spec as well, or do you do you guys pay them regardless of if it gets picked or not because they put you know you've reached out to them say hey can you make music for this and they put their time into it how, how, what's the understanding for that. So it's it's different. It depends on what kind of production's going into it. Um, but yeah, for the most part, the composer gets paid. On, it's on spec as well. Okay. Mm-hmm. But we split everything fifty fifty. So um, we kind of think of it as like a you know it's more of like two businesses working together yeah. instead of like it's a composer and this company. It's you know hey do you want to join in? You get fifty percent of it. Sure. And if if we don't get it, neither of us get it. Right. But if we get it, we both get fifty percent of it. Sure. So, yeah. Um, and it's a straight 50-50. We don't take any cuts off the top or anything like that. So, And is that the same for for, for the sync side of things? Yeah, for every, for everything. All of our deals are 50-50, unless otherwise specified if mm-hmm. if you know if we're going after a bigger artist or somebody that, that brings more value to it, then we maybe we'll change the percentage. But mm-hmm. um, but otherwise it's 50-50. Are you guys, when it comes to the sync side of things with working with artists, are you guys um, only working with indie artists or are you guys working with signed labeled artists as well or kind of a mix or what we, do you push for? We've we, done some yeah. uh, kind of a mix of both. We've done uh, a mix. We've done we some did a collaboration with, with Kiss. Yeah. Okay. Um, so we took, um, yeah, we took all their, their re-records um, and we trailerized them and actually remixed and trailerized and like did a full album of Kiss songs. Okay. Um, work directly and hand in hand with their management on uh, doing that. Um, but for the most part, no, we do all indie artists purely based on that. We just, it's easier for us to just work with the artists themselves. And then when yeah. we go to clear, it's not, it's one no, stop, not it's one stop, not two no, or three stops. Yeah. Nobody else involved. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so it's easier that way. And everybody gets paid more. The artist gets paid more. Like sure. we, we really try to tell two people like the indie artists is like, Hey, Represent yourself. It's 
learn read up, some read up, read up and, and learn learn yeah, yeah get yeah. knowledgeable learn some licensing terms like you don't need to know everything but you you can get a book and, yeah. and find out figure out a decent amount about licensing a decent amount about contracts obviously have a lawyer look at contracts always mm-hmm. um even when we're sending them um but you know represent yourself because at the end of the day when they're when they're doing all this work writing and then they're the manager who Whoever, you know, sometimes we'll take the money from them and then split it up from there. It's like just for the in the production side of things. Obviously, if they're if they're working with big record labels or if they're working with trying to go on tour and all that stuff, it's a whole different deal. But when you're just working on production stuff, just represent yourself. Write music and get, you know, try to make the most money out of it. it. Yeah. Do you guys find that um, working on the trailer side of things? Because, you know, it's the 2.30 in the morning phone calls and we need it within two hours, a complete, you know, a whole orchestral epic thing. Um, It's very different than an artist who is a singer-songwriter, you know, pop rock artist or whatever. Mm -hmm. Uh, When you're working in, so you're saying, okay, a 10-song album you want an artist to do. And that's completed. You guys are pitching it. And then if if a, the supervisor or production company comes back and says, okay, we like this, but we want this changed, do you guys have the artist go back and actually change stuff, or is it, it this is this is it is what it is, and we're we're past that point? You know, you have to take it as it is. I feel like that happens a lot less outside of. Trailers. That's my experience. I yeah. mean, I mean, it is a possibility, and and the relationships we have with most of our artists, I feel like it's within the realm of. Yeah, depending. I mean, we we could do it, you know, and also depending on what they want. Like, we could have one of our in-house composers tweak stuff or whatever to make, you know, we'll drag that thing across the finish line any way we can. Yeah, Yeah, typically we never, I don't think we've ever come to the point where we told the studio that it is what it is. We've always made it work. Um, Wait, but do they, have you experienced the studio asking for an an artist song, a sync song, mm-hmm. to to be changed. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. I mean, we've we've gone to the extent of recreating like instrumentals of artist songs. Okay. So they can like because sometimes stems don't exist, or you know, just parts that they don't like just don't you know they can't split apart anymore. Mm-hmm. So we'll end up recreating parts to sound exactly like what they had before to make these moments where they can, you know, kind of weave in and out under dialogue, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So we've, we've, yeah, done all we've had to recreate like 1960s, 1970s rock songs and record them live and try to like, you know, make them sound as old as possible. So it recreates the vintage sound. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting that, that you've been asked to do that because I've done a lot of cover songs, and we talked about that earlier a little bit, and changing, you know, usually when we do cover songs, we end up changing it to make it a very different sounding type of a song, right? Mm-hmm. Um, usually, my experience has been, do not do sound-alikes. They don't like, the people that I've ex- that I've talked with don't mm-hmm. like it when you try to recreate the song exactly like it was. Yeah, but what we're doing is not sound-alikes. I, mean, I guess it isn't a technical term, but they're actually using the original Trip. Recording. So what we're we're doing is creating parts. So they enhancing more parts sure. that that don't currently exist that are, you know, 
the same sound as that. Right. Cue. Yeah, so they're like, hey, we're using this cue, and then we come into a section where we don't want any dialogue. The the cue itself, you know, the the track that they're using, there's too much going on. We just want guitar and bass and drums, and we mm-hmm. kind of want it just to sound like this. So we'll recreate that section and try to match the production of the original track as much as possible so you, it's just seamless underneath. And so... What was that trailer we just did, Father Stew? Father Stew, yeah. Father Stew. So yeah. they used a Johnny Cash yeah. song in that, um, which they couldn't get instrumental for. But okay. there was an instrumental in that trailer because we yeah. created an instrumental yeah. for it. So, and uh, it was seamless. You can't tell where the instrumental starts and where mm-hmm. Johnny Cash ends, you know? So, so how does that work when... Because at that point, that becomes like a two-stop. Yeah, yeah well, so I mean, that's... They're still clearing Johnny Cash, yeah. but and then they're clearing our master is because it's a cover technically what we do yeah so when when we're tasked to do things for the trailer side of things for custom wise that's i mean they only have to clear what we've done and then they and then they clear all the other stuff on the other side that's, with, with their, that's, their yeah. publishing yeah, yeah so, so johnny cash song they're cover, they're clearing it with the publishers yeah. of his stuff yeah. mm-hmm. they're clearing the, the cover, the, the master of the cover yeah. of the Johnny Cash of with you, yeah. mm-hmm. and they just end up laying on top of each other in the trailer. But yeah. it's two separate entities that they're yeah. that they're paying yeah, for exactly. their thing. Yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. yeah, we don't we don't deal with the the track that they're using, the Johnny yeah. Cash stuff or any other track. Like mm-hmm. that's that comes from the vendor and the music supervisor. There has to get the information to pass off to the clearance team. Yeah, and yeah. then the clearance team handles all that. Um, but it's mostly when we say one stop, it's mainly for like when it comes. When music catalog music comes from us, all yep. of it's one stop. Yep. Um, but yeah, there's there's a variety of ways it's all done. <laughs> it's all That's done. That's cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, do you guys have a favorite? This is going to be a. <laughs> you meant to think about this one for a second. Do you guys have a, a favorite song that you guys have done for a trailer, like or a favorite trailer that you have created music for? Yeah. Um, we're not allowed to talk about it. Uh, not yeah, allowed yeah. to talk about it. Our, our, you know, a couple of my favorite trailers, uh, you know, were, were under NDAs with some of the studios, and we just we can't post about them. We can't talk about them. Really? So mm-hmm. some of our some of our biggest and most impressive that work, have been released that people have heard seen but, them. Yeah, but you and can't we'll, say that it's you that did it. Yeah. You can't say. Really? Yeah. yeah. Can um, can you ex- can you say why that why that happens? Uh, yeah, there was a. Uh, there was a time when, um, and this is mainly for one studio, um, which is our biggest client. Um, there was a time when uh, a composer for the trailer had posted about, you know, working on this piece. and But m- the way it was worded was he worked on the movie, right? So here, here this is the, this thing I worked on, and it was this movie. And the director and composer of the actual film said who's this person and why are they posting about the music on this movie you know uh so eventually there was a few other instances that happened so eventually the studio was like all right every time you guys do music you sign this thing and it's in their contract you know you just can't talk about it they want to license your music but you can put it on your you can put on your website and everybody can go and see all the the trailers that we worked on on our website but we can't put on social media or any like we can't talk about impress or anything like that. Interesting. Yeah, that stinks. That that that's a thing you have to do. Yeah, it does. But at the I end understand of the, at it. the end of the day, it's like we're creating this for the studios. So if if they want to, you know, stipulate that 
Sure. Yeah. yeah. It, it sucks, but yeah, it, I get, it's, I get know. it, but it stinks for you to as not be able to say, Hey, checks. we had a, you know, we had a hand in this, you know, that <laughs> yeah. because yeah. people love like trailer music has become this thing that, you know, over the past 10, 15, maybe 15 years or so, that's, it's like its own thing. Like people wait for, they're anticipating the trailer of a movie nowadays as much as they do the movie itself sometimes. Oh, yeah. Because it's, yeah. it's just like this big event. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like Thor, Love and Thunder, that's, yeah. that's you know, that is coming out um, or will have come out by the time this this airs. But, um, you know, it's like when that or Stranger Things, you know, people are waiting for these things to come out because they just, it's an event in itself. Mm-hmm. So, um, which is really interesting because I don't think that was, when we were growing up, um, we're I think we're all roughly the same age. But when we were growing up, I don't think that was as big of a deal. When yeah, well, that's know. what they call them. You know, tra- trailers these days it, it is really a really a big event. You know, in the olden days they used to just be attached to the end of a film. That's what they call them trailers because they because they were just pieces that they would you know splice to the Trail end of on. a film. Yeah, in the theater and they played okay. after the movies. But, yeah. Yeah, now they're like it's a whole thing. Yeah, yeah. You have to sit through half an hour of them just to get to yeah. the movie nowadays. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. We used to go to the theater just to watch the yeah, exactly. Trailers. Right, yeah. exactly. Yeah, buy tickets yeah. to watch the trailer. And, and now people are studying, you know, composers. We sit and we watch what you guys do and study how you create music for trailers because, like, there are people that want to do that specifically. It's like this its own beast that oh, is yeah. that mm-hmm. it's become. Um, I mean, which you're is basically, smart. you're telling, you're telling a whole story in two and a half minutes. Yeah. And it's, you know, the number one rule of writing music for trailers is, is don't ever resolve anything. Yeah. So like by the end, by the end of the trailer, you shouldn't ever, the music should never make you feel like things are resolved. It should always make you feel like, oh, I need more. Yeah. You know, like, like it didn't end. It didn't. And in a way that made me feel satisfied. Yeah. Because that's that's like the biggest trick of trailer music is never never end a cue feeling satisfaction. That's great. <laughs> a See, resolution. That's, yeah, know? that's great. That's great information for, for people to hear. You know, it's that it's the big it everything drops out and there's that piano ding. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know, it's yeah. like, oh man, yeah, there's more. I want more. Uh-huh. You know, it's that feeling of le- leaving you wanting more um and looking forward to it. So which is cool. Well, man, thank you guys for being on the show. I'm very grateful. Cool. Yeah. Um, thanks for having us. It's been a great conversation. Yeah. This is chat. the first, you guys are the first ones I've had that, that I've had on the show that have done that really focus on making music for trailers and um, kind of the, the in-depth of, you know, I got a lot of sync agencies that have been on and supervisors and things like that, but uh, this is kind of a different world, and I love that you guys are branching out into the sync side of things, into the TV and ads uh, world as well, and expanding on what you guys do. So I know that you guys, you, what you do is amazing, and it'll continue to be so. So um, but I'm grateful for you guys coming on, and uh, look forward to hearing more of what you guys put out in the future. Oh, thanks for having so, us. So thank, thank you guys you. for having, have a great day. All right, guys, there you have it. I hope you had a great time listening to our conversation today. I hope you take what we've talked about today and find ways to apply it to your career as well. Please be sure to like and subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you listen to it on. And please share it with all of your friends so that we can continue to get this message out to everyone around the world. 
Remember, Edenbrook Productions is here to help if you need consulting services via phone, Skype, Zoom, or FaceTime. Let us know how we can help you begin to make a living in the music industry.